2: What a beautiful morning to be driving into work. Although, that's a little weird because I I live really close to the station and I don't usually drive there. And the building looks a little different. When did they add that ever-widening hole on the side? Well, the lobby looks the same, except they hired a giraffe. As a receptionist. It'll be nice to get upstairs and start working. Well, at least my studio looks the same. And of course, we'll be talking about things that will change and won't change after President Biden is sworn in. And we'll have three cast members of the hit Broadway musical Polk, and Alec Baldwin, on why he has decided to stop playing Han Solo in the Star Wars movies. And now, the smartest guy in area code 203, Mark Oppenheimer. Wait, excuse me. Everything you just said is completely wrong. Who who are you? I'm Cokie Fox, the incredibly popular voice of the Mark Oppenheimer Show. Everybody loves me. No... They don't. You're not even real. What is this? Hold on. Uh-huh. Hi, this is Koki on the third floor. Can you tell the giraffe in the lobby there's a disoriented woman wandering around up here? Thanks, babe. I'm not disoriented. It's just <laughs> Alec Baldwin never played Han Solo. The musical is about Alexander Hamilton, and Joe Biden isn't president. Donald Trump is... Donald Trump and you say you're not disoriented it's not the Mark Oppenheimer show it's it's hosted by Colin McEnroe the guy who got arrested for chaining himself to Natalie Portman well I I suppose that could have happened but you, you have to get out of here I have a job to do no way it's like that song in Polk and I'm not throwing away my manifest destiny I am really confused right now can somebody anybody explain this
3: I can explain it. It's world-famous physicist physicist Alan Yu. Greetings, humanities majors who didn't take any science courses. What you are experiencing is a temporary overlap of two universes within the multiverse. One of you has stepped into the parallel reality of the other one. The structure is essentially the same, but certain details are different. Well,
2: can you fix this? Make her go away.
3: I don't fix things. You're basically screwed unless you can find your way back to your own universe. I'm here mainly to do a public service announcement for other people. Watch out for gleaming portals and ever-widening holes. For more information, purchase Alan Yu's Guide to Multiverse for Imbeciles. You can get it for twenty nine ninety nine in Kion's universe. Here in Koki's, it costs three shiny rocks and a severed iguana head.
2: Okay, look, lady... I have to announce, Colin, just please get out of the chair for, like, one second. Well, okay. What a bit. We don't say that word on our show. And now the guy who should not have to pay his whole life for one Natalie Portman mistake... Colin McEnroe.
4: I feel like we almost don't have to do the show now. I mean, we just covered the whole thing, didn't we? So what we're talking today is the, about, uh, today, well, let me begin again, in, in a different universe. What we're talking about today is the notion of a multiverse, which is probably isn't really the right word, and we'll come to that, but the, the notion anyway that there might be more than one universe, uh, that they might be in very close proximity to one another, uh, and that they might all be a little bit different. Now, why would that be an appealing notion just now? I don't know. I mean, do you wake up every morning and say, hey, maybe all that stuff didn't happen? I mean, have you been having that sensation, say, since November 9th? Maybe maybe that was just in a different universe, and now I'm back in my old universe. That's why we're doing this show. But we're also doing this show because it's just fascinating stuff. It's also very difficult. We're going to begin with the physics of it. Then we're going to talk to you a little bit about how it turns up in our imaginations and in our culture and in our suspicions. But we have to sort of establish what it is we're talking about first. And I now know, after Tuesday's show, about the physics of nothing, not to try to do these things without Amanda Gefter. Uh, She's a physics uh, and cosmology writer. She's been on our show before. She's the author of Trespassing on Einstein's Law, A Father a daughter. Uh, and the Meaning of Nothing uh, and the Beginning of Everything. It's a long title. but um, So Amanda's really good at explaining things so I can understand them. So we're going to start there, and then we're going to add a physicist, uh, Eugene Lim, a senior lecturer in theoretical physics at King's College in London. But let's start with Amanda. So Amanda, in terms that I can understand, which therefore means that everybody else can probably understand them too, what is it that we're really talking about when we're talking about the multiverse?
5: So when we talk about a multiverse, we're talking about, you know, we used to sort of use the word universe to mean everything that there is. (laughs) Um, And now universe sort of means one bubble of space time um, in this vast multiverse where you could have a huge number, even infinite number of, bubble universes, Um, bubble, not, not necessarily meaning like spherical, but just meaning like a contained uh, space time. And, and so basically, when you have, you know, more than one universe, the idea is that the space times um, that make up these universes are disconnected, they're fundamentally disconnected. So there's just no way that one could have any kind of influence on the other, you can't travel between them, you can't send signals between them, um, so they're like these disconnected, uh, forever severed worlds.
4: And so uh, the problem, if if it's a problem, is inherent in what you just said, which is that it might be true, but we'd have no way of knowing.
5: Yeah, exactly.
4: It, exactly. it doesn't conform to I mean things like relativity and stuff like that I might not understand relativity, but people who are really smart and can do the math and stuff like that say, oh no, you know this isn't just some wild speculation there there's math to back it up um with the multiverse well actually, let me put it to uh, you in a way that somebody that I discovered through your work, uh James Ladyman, the british uh, philosopher uh he uh, he says. He, he says that the multiverse is the worst possible explanation of certain quantum realities, except for all the other explanations. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, he basically says, look, you know, as explanations go, it's not, it doesn't hold up all that, or at least it's, it's not testable or discernible in the way that you're saying. On the other hand, there isn't anything else that's better that explains some of the things that we want to explain. Does that make sense to you?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of fascinating because this, it seems weird, but but it's sort of true that any time you come up with a theory of a universe, it's sort of easier to make a multiverse than it is to make a universe. So, um, like any mechanism, it's kind of like if you try to evolve a bird that would chirp once and that's it. You know, so it's hard to, like, come up with a mechanism that would only make one universe. It's easier to come up with a mechanism that would just sort of keep going and produce uh, an infinite number of universes. And so... Um, so it's sort of a good explanation in the sense that you know, all these different theories that we have, like from inflation, which is sort of our mechanism behind the Big Bang, to quantum mechanics, um, to string theory, all of these different theories end up giving you a multiverse. And so on the one hand, that convergence seems really compelling, like, oh, every theory we have is telling us there's a multiverse. On the other hand, that might just be the case because it's just harder to come up with a theory that gives you... You know, sort of one perfect, inevitable
4: universe. All right, now I think it's time to add to this conversation Eugene Lim, a senior lecturer in theoretical physics at King's College in London. Hopefully, we haven't done anything uh, to radically disappoint him so far, (laughs) but let's find out. (laughs) So, I, I think one thing that would, that Amanda and maybe I have done relatively well, Eugene Lim, is not get the cart before the horse. It's not that they that you want there to be a multiverse. So how do you go about it? It's more as like it's like what Ladyman says. You know, you're looking for a way to explain a whole bunch of things, and the multiverse presents itself as a possibility.
6: Yeah, I think um, I like to um, follow through from what Amanda is saying that you know which and it says that you know, it's very hard to make one universe given what we know about theory. So if you like, um, the multiverse is a consequence of what our current understanding of theoretical physics is. It's not like we set a stage where we say, let there be a multiverse, and then we try to go from there. No, it is, it's like if we, we understand gravity, we understand particle physics, and if we all put them together and do some reasonable extrapolation of it, um, what you're going to get is a multiverse. So... Um but I'm gonna slightly um, disagree with Amanda on whether or not it's testable or not testable. So I think it's testable, but you know, maybe we can have a conversation about that.
4: Well let's have that conversation right now. How is it testable?
6: Okay, so so um so if I want to go there, there's kind of like two two like versions of multiverse and one is what I would like to call the quantum mechanics quantum mechanical multiverse where um because of quantum mechanics we always know that you know, if you put a cat in a box you know you open the box, the box the cat is either dead or alive and quantum mechanics gives you the mathematics to be able to tell us what that is but it also means that you know it's hard for us to interpret whether or not the cat is alive or dead in the box so you could think of it as an objectively an objective question, which is that okay, well maybe just the quantum mechanics, is a bookkeeping device, just tells us whether or not it's dead or alive. But um, but you could also accept the premise that the cat can be both dead and alive, just in different universes. So that's the quantum mechanical um, notion of a multiverse. But I think what Amanda was saying when she mentioned about inflation is that there's another mechanism for us to generate. Um, a multiverse, which is that in the early universe, um, the universe can keep reproducing itself. If you like, there's an inflation, which means that the universe expands very, very quickly during the Big Bang. But um, but if you believe in our theories, there is a slight probability at some part of the universe it is still inflating, even though right now we don't, we are not inflating anymore. But there's some part of the universe which is still inflating, which makes more space which makes more space, means there are more space that's inflating. So you can keep making all these different bubble universes. Um, but the difference between this second notion of, um, of a multiverse to the first is that these universes live in the same physical space as we do. And since we live in the same physical space, there is a possibility that we might interact with them, and then hence we might be able to see them. I mean, the, the, the probability is it remote, but it's not zero, and it's something that we actually actively look for in our research.
4: All right. So I want to go back to something that Eugene Lim said, uh, Amanda, and I'm going to use the technique of the uh, stupidest person in the conversation trying to boil it down uh, so that he understands it. So that would be me. Uh, and um, so he's talking about Schrodinger's cat. And it makes me think I, I sort of tried to write down the way that I understood it based on my reading of what I, whatever I could read. And, and it seems to me that one of the things that we're talking about here is that quantum mechanics keeps delivering us to these moments where certain things are not in a unique state, and that one way of dealing with that is to say that those things are um, the sum of all possible states, and they're in the sum of all possible states, Mm -hmm. including each and every possibility, and that somehow this is all happening in in close proximity. So I'm going to have Amanda react to that first. I mean, based on your understanding of that, Amanda, is that sort of part of at least part of the conversation we're having right now? Yeah.
0: I mean, in quantum
5: mechanics, um, so... Quantum mechanics, you know, when you have the cat, it tells you the cat is in this, you know, superposition of dead and alive. And, then, and yet when, when an observer comes along, they only see one of those outcomes. And so the question is why do they only see one when the theory tells you that, that both should exist? And so your options are either like add something to the theory that would give you a reason that you only see one, but that's not in the theory itself. You'd have to like add on some extra ingredient Um, Or you accept what the theory is saying and and you say, okay, no, it really is in both states. Um, But that would imply that, you know, because we only ever see one, the other would have to be in sort of a parallel reality. Um, So a lot of it just sort of depends on how you want to interpret uh, quantum physics.
4: Right. I mean, there are uh, those other famous um, experiments where a, an electron appears to pass through two slits at once, um, when it, and then when you try to measure it, it collapses into a the, the single possibility. So where did the other possibility go? Uh, exactly. And, and so one, one answer to that question would be, well, it, both things did happen, but just not in the same universe. Exactly. So Eugene Lim, let's talk a little bit more about how we could go looking for something like this. I mean, we know the only reason we're the only reason a physicist like you is even willing to have a conversation like this is because there is the kind of evidence from the observable reality that makes you think, well, we need an explanation and this is one possible explanation that at least is not worse than a lot of the other explanations, and maybe even a bit better than the other explanations, but are there other ways that we could go looking I don't know would there be holes, hot spots, cold spots? Tell us about some things you you could maybe look around for if you wanted to find something like this.
6: Yeah, okay, so um I agree with Amanda about um the quantum mechanical interpretation. It is a matter of you know as the word as the word we use interpretation, so you could either accept that you know it's an objective reality or it is they exist everywhere. And they are just in separate universes. I mean, as far as I know, I don't think there's any way for us to try to observe that. Uh, but what we can observe is the notion of the multiverse that comes from the fact that the universe has a an period of inflation, and then the, those in, the period of inflation can make many different bubble universes, and this each of these bubble universes could have a different reality in the sense that they might have different physical laws you know the law of gravity might act very differently the mass of the electron might be different in all these different bubble universes and uh and since they live in the same physical space if you like if you have a if you build a spaceship that can travel forever and the universe doesn't end in the meantime you could in principle travel from our universe to the other universe you can pierce some some the membrane of the bubble if you like but having said that it means that since this bubble universes live in the same space, in principle, they can collide. They can run into each other. And they could, especially they can run into each other early universe, early in the universe, which means that, you know, if we live in a bubble and there's another bubble next door and we run into this bubble, it means that there must be some damage, if you like, some debris from this collision. And this debris can manifest itself as a Cold spot or hot spot in the skies. You know, if you if you take a temp- if you take a thermometer and take a temperature of the universe by pointing it at the sky, you will find that it's roughly about 2.73 kelvins. That's about 2.73 degrees above uh, absolute zero. But maybe you know, just maybe, if there's a collision, you might find that at some part of the sky it might be slightly colder and slightly hotter. And this is what we actively look for because you know, if if such a multiverse exists, then there is a possibility that this might happen.
4: And they didn't have insurance. We didn't have insurance. We just collided. Uh, we just have to t- talk it out with them. So, um, so, you know, we did a show on Tuesday, Eugene Lim, about the physics of nothing, the notion of uh, total void or, or emptiness, which turns out in, in quantum states to be kind of hard to establish. Mm-hmm. But would, would, would a big empty spot be another clue to a multiverse?
1: Yeah,
6: I mean, it. it it's a slightly different notion of empty spot, but one possibility is that maybe if you look hard enough, there is some part of the universe that has no galaxies, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's a devoid of galaxies, and then that would be a sign that we have collided with a different universe early on. So Amanda, the collision has prevented the formation of galaxies.
4: There you go, yeah. So uh, you just need a little bondo or something to put yeah. on that. So, uh, Amanda, I think... The, the the leap that people make from there is the leap that was implied in the introduction to this show that, you know, that just means that there's some place where Joe Biden's president and not Donald Trump. But I would assume that that's not really what we're talking about so much as. Um, an infinite range of universes where everything that can happen, every single possibility that can happen, somewhere does happen. Do I ha- does that strike you as true? Yeah. Tri-
5: so anytime you're dealing with infinity, that's really what you're running into. So, um, so you can have you can have variation of the kind um, you know at the beginning of the show where you have basically the same type of universe, but just slightly different things are happening. Um, But you can also have universes where the values of physical constants, so like the strength of gravity, the mass of an electron, things like that are actually a little different in each universe. And then you're talking about, you know, some pretty drastic um, changes from one to the the next. But if you have an infinite number, you're going to have every one of these possibilities happening an infinite number of times. And then you run into all kinds of sort of weird situations where, you know, not only is there another universe where, you know, Biden is president, but there's another universe that's just like this one where we're having this exact same conversation. And so you get, you know, you've infinite copies of every single thing that could possibly happen.
4: Um, uh, Eugene Lim, another thing that I, you know, you're talking about the uh, the cold spot, or the empty spot, or something like that. Well, I mean, for the most part, the way that we think of the universe is that um, it, it's 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 uniform. There isn't a particular di- one particular direction that's any better than any other. Uh, that you, you don't need to face one way to see the universe; you can face any way, and and you're facing the same way. But I mean, if there are these places where we've touched other universes in their specific places, they have actual locations. That means there are like special that would mean that there were sort of special directions, more or less, within our universe.
6: Exactly. This is, this is one of the key signatures that we look for. So, I mean, and the, the exact details about what breaks, if you like, what breaks this um, uniformity, it depends on the, the model that we use to generate the multiverse. But, um, but looking for special directions in the sky, you know, that's one extra cold spot. There's slightly more galaxies in one direction. These are the key signatures that we look for, special directions in the sky.
4: The tourism possibilities are endless. (laughs) We can just sort of get there. All right. Well, listen, this has been great. This has been helpful. Uh, You guys have both been wonderful. I guess, Amanda, I have to ask you, I mean, are you pro-multiverse or anti-multiverse? I mean, do do you have a particular stance, or are you just combing through all the theories of people like Eugene Lim and James Ladyman?
5: I mean, I think I think there's valid, you know, arguments to be made on both sides. Like the, the sort of probably best argument for a multiverse um, would be this fact that you know, in all these different universes, you can have different values of physical constants, and then that helps us explain why the values of the constants in our universe seem to be like weirdly perfect for the existence of life. Um, so this thing that seems like a big coincidence becomes just an inevitability if you have, um, all these other universes. So, you know, it's kind of like if earth were the only planet, um, we would say like, wow, what were the odds that we were going to end up like in the exact right distance from the sun to have liquid water. And then we could be here. Like that would be sort of inexplicable, but it's not because there's lots of planets. And right. so, you know, obviously we're on the one that can support us. And so that's to me the most kind of compelling argument, but mm. personally, I do am not really pro-multiverse, and the reason for that is a sort of more philosophical argument, which is, um, you know, in one thing that we've learned in modern physics and relativity and in quantum physics is that what an observer can measure has a direct correlation to what exists, mm-hmm. and that's like sort of the weirdest thing about physics, right? So the fact that we can't measure a particle's like position and momentum simultaneously actually means that the particle can't have a position and momentum simultaneously. And and so when you're talking about a multiverse, you're sort of by definition talking about something that one observer can't take in at once. Um, so there's sort of no physical reference frame in which a multiverse exists. And, and I think personally that the lesson of quantum mechanics is that that means that it can't exist.
4: Hmm. So, all right, I think we're going to end there. Eugene Lim, thank you so much. Amanda Gefter, thank you so much. Uh, let's say Amanda's, you know, like 40 percent wrong or something uh, because we need that for the next segment where we're going to talk about how in your imaginations and the imaginations of people who create culture, this notion, this complicated notion of parallel universes, the multiverse plays out. The multiverse. All right. So uh, we're talking about the notion of parallel universes, uh, about the notion of the multiverse. I have to say now that all the physicists have cleared out, to me, to go back to the first thing that we said, uh, which is that the whole idea of quantum mechanics means that matter or things, things don't necessarily exist in one unique state. They may exist in a whole bunch of different states, but we can only see, we can only measure this one unique state. Well, where is all this other crap? You know, where does it go? (laughs) That's to me, that's the argument for the multiverse. It's like, you know, it's like a storage facility or something. It's like all this stuff. It's got to be someplace else. It's not here. Uh, All right. But that's just me. I don't really know what I'm talking about. Uh, Joining us is uh, Alicia Lutz. Uh, Alicia Lutz is the managing editor of The Nerdist uh, and the creator and the host of Fangirling. Uh, She's going to join us to kind of walk us through how popular culture deals with this, because really, Amanda, once physics opened up this suitcase and said, oh, look at this, you know, there might actually be a bunch of other contiguous universes. I mean, that's sort of honey for the flies of writers of content, right? I mean, it just it's just such an invitation. I want to see if Amanda, Amanda, are you with us?
0: Oh, Alicia Lutz. Is oh, here, Alicia yeah.
4: Lutz. I'm sorry. I got you uh, uh confused with Amanda our original guest. Okay. Oh, so, that's no problem. All right. So, um so Alicia Lutz, there's a way in which this is a, a very um tempting thing for a writer, right? And the the minute you know, the minute you hear that there's even a little bit of physics to back up the idea of parallel universes, um there you go. You 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 can start writing plots that you could never write before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um The multiverse has really become this really fun sort of puzzle and playground um, for plot in stories. I mean, we've seen this throughout the entire history of comic books. Literally, comic books live in its own multiverse, and um, it creates this really fun opportunity not only for a way to kind of overcome challenges when you are presenting stories, especially in in sci-fi and genre work, um, but also you know, really interesting challenges, too, that can mess with the perception of your characters that you're playing with and sort of the different ideas of what it means to be who they are. You know, it gets to kind of a very micro level in terms of just how small you can go with the storytelling in terms of how the multiverse affects your characters or, you know, obviously even a much more macro scale.
4: So, Alicia, let's go with one of the most famous ones. This is from 1998. It's one of your favorites. It's Sliding Doors. It imagines a possibility of Gwyneth Paltrow going to places where people don't find Gwyneth Paltrow annoying, although that was not the case anyway in 1998. That happened later. Um, So we're just going to hear a little clip from Sliding Doors.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What? I didn't think you liked Elton John.
3: I do I do sometimes
0: You really shouldn't just stop like that. Set a woman back three days doing a thing like that. Who is she? She's Lydia. Well, I've had a dreadful day. I got sacked. And so did you, it would seem.
3: Cup of tea? That'd be nice. You!
4: So, um, Alicia, what happens here is that uh, Helen Quilly, the Gwyneth Paltrow character, she gets fired from her job. She leaves the office building. She drops an earring uh, in the elevator. Elevators are very important to this kind of thing for some reason or other. And a man picks it up for her. She rushes for her train on the London Underground, misses it. And then this plot does split, right, into two parallel universes. And, you know, in 1998, this might have been, for a lot of people, a pretty unusual thing to think about.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting idea to, to think about stories non-linearly or even to be happening simultaneously on two different tracks. And, um, you know, to put it in the context of a romantic comedy like Sliding Doors is sort of uh, just a, a different way that kind of, um, I think, plays into the catharsis of seeing something play out in this alternate reality where – you know, the move where you actually make it onto the train versus not making it onto the train completely changes your life, right? And I think that in our current culture where we kind of deal a lot with this idea of of missing out and what if and um, all of these different sort of alternatives that are possibilities. You know, we live in a world where endless possibilities are proliferating themselves ad nauseum, it feels like, especially with the advent of the internet. And so this idea of the multiverse and something like sliding doors is playing into this idea that this could be playing out in another way somewhere else. And that can be thrilling for people to watch. It can be really satisfying. Um, It can really kind of run the gamut.
4: Right. So uh, we live in a world where there's this notion of FOMO, fear of missing out, uh, which didn't exist maybe 20 years ago, where if you went home and changed out of your work clothes into your pajamas and started watching a Star Trek marathon, you didn't necessarily think about all the other things that you could be doing because there weren't your friends on Facebook and Twitter letting, and Instagram and Snapchat letting you know what they're doing that you're not doing. And and so what you're saying is that this this fulfills... Or, or at least sort of provides you with a way of dealing with all the anxiety and regret churned up by FOMO that, you know, ultimately maybe it's some other spot in the in the vast multiple cosmos. You are doing all that stuff.
0: You know, it's scratching that itch in a way, I think. Um, and I, I would argue that probably the idea of FOMO is something that's not completely new. I think that it's just we have we have terminology for it and we have a way to sort of explain that feeling also because we have so much more opportunity and so much more visibility of what those opportunities are constantly presented to us in life. Um, and so it just naturally, I think, sort of gets people thinking about it in a bigger way rather than just being like, oh, I'm sitting on my couch at home and I feel like I maybe could be doing something else. Um, this And this idea kind of plays out um, across a whole host of um, media and entertainment, especially right now. it's It's really kind of this fringe, I not necessarily fringe idea, but it's this idea that is is only hypothetically plausible. And so there's just so much wiggle room and so much gray area in which to really kind of attack an idea or a situation um, from a completely different angle, which then kind of holds up a mirror to the audience and to the people viewing it. In, in how they experience it,
4: yeah, and I, I would say that FOMO is a little bit uh, net driven, just in the sense that really, if you think about what Facebook is, it's a bunch of parallel realities where people are doing things that you're not doing. You're constantly being reminded that existence could your existence could bubble out into one of those things. You could have gone to that party where you see everybody drunk and throwing up right now. Um, so- <laughs> it
0: definitely makes it more present for sure. It's more it's more immediate in your Understanding of what's happening on the world outside of your couch.
4: <laughs> so, uh, of course, you know, in some ways, um, uh, the the sliding sliding doors example is maybe the least sci-fi of, of the ways that this can be worked out. The people who wrote Star Trek, well, they had a lot of episodes to fill. Ultimately, uh, in one of them, the Enterprise finds an unknown probe that scans the ship and directs an energy beam at Captain Picard, rendering him unconscious. Picard wakes up to find himself on the surface of Catan, a non-Federation planet meanwhile on board the enterprise the crew attempts to revive picard because there are two of them he's down on on katan and he's up there let's just hear a minute of that
3: what is it they're launching you know about it
1: father you've already seen it
3: seen it what are you talking about i haven't seen any missile
1: yes you have old friend don't you remember I saw it just before you came here. We hoped our probe would encounter someone in the future. Someone who could be a teacher. Someone who could tell the others about us.
3: (sighs) Oh, it's me. Isn't it?
1: what this launching is.
4: So a bunch of different Captain Picards. I don't know. Uh, uh, We're talking, by the way, to Alicia Lutz, the managing editor of The Nerdist, creator and host of Fangirling. So I I feel like um, Star Trek in particular is sort of a workplace drama. It's about people who all have to work in close quarters uh, and and get to know each other and deal with some of their perceptions. To me, this one isn't so much about something like FOMO. It's more about the sense that we have sometimes, that we remember something we're not supposed to remember or or deja vu or, you know, the little sort of, bits of reality that are extraordinarily difficult to reconcile unless you have access to some new super theory.
0: Yeah, well, um, Morgan Gendell's episode is actually listed as one of Patrick Stewart's favorite in his entire time of doing um, Star Trek The Next Generation because it does it plays at this idea because there's so much that we can't really explain about our own existence and our own understanding of what these energy fields mean and and, and what how we experience the world affects other things. And this story really is sort of beautiful because it uses this idea of, you know, kind of using the energy of the multiverse verse to help save this race of people um, by rendering Picard sort of this other version of himself. And it's, it's truly um, really kind of harkens to less the idea of like, Oh, we're playing in here and we can go and If we change one thing here, it'll change something else here. But really sort of this flow of energy that we don't totally understand, which I think, you know, you kind of interpret as love or this connection that is inexplicable in this way. And the power of that and how unknown the power of that feeling and experience is for any sort of sentient life.
4: So... Um, Alicia, you and I have both seen Doctor Strange, the difference is that you actually remember it. Um, I was actually coming down with a bad respiratory virus. I didn't realize that. I had like a high fever, which maybe is a good way to watch Doctor Strange. I, I don't know. But, you know, when, Doctor Strange also does a, uh, um, kind of explore, particularly visually, this notion of contiguous realities, of touching universes and, and, and multiple worlds. Um, I don't know. I have this... Uh, Cynical suspicion that some of its marketing that Marvel in particular, you know, they they love the whole idea of different iterations of reality so they can have different sets of X-Men and stuff like that. And and I don't know. is, Is there is there more going on than that?
0: Well, you know, I think that with Doctor Strange in particular, um, Marvel is really opening up the universe and opening up their explanations of how their universe works. Um, The cinematic universe in Marvel doesn't necessarily fully connect to comic books or TV and vice versa because they have so many creatives being able to play into these ideas. And this idea of one small moment or one small thing setting off a chain of different reactions and different parallel alternatives to what actually happens in your universe, whether you believe that's the prime universe or something else entirely, is this idea that there's so much happening that can be connected. And so now we're going to find out, you know, are the Guardians of the Galaxy in the same universe as Doctor Strange? Or is he he and the Avengers? Is there some other way to play into this? Because when you get into the idea of, it's not just the one single universe. It does definitely shrink the idea and the importance of what is happening in each specific universe. But then when you take something like that, And you compound it. So then you have this idea of multiple universes. If they can be touched and accessed at different points, that means they can also come into conflict with one another, which I think we're going to see a lot of in Avengers Infinity War, which is why it was so important for Doctor Strange to come in at this particular time in this greater expansive story.
4: So uh getting ready for this show, uh, I have to admit i'm not uh, i don't do my due diligence with Adult Swim uh the uh, the cartoons uh for for grown ups as the name would suggest. There is a show called Rick and Morty do you watch Rick and Morty? Have you watched Rick and Morty?
0: I love Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty is one of the most intelligent shows on t v right now, and what they do with the multiverse is really impressive in that it's taken, it's very deeply seriously, they take the science and the physics and the theoretical what ifs of of how this could play out in the world and take the the absurdity of that. Um, You know, Rick and Morty was created by Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon. Dan Harmon created Community, which is another show that really plays with the idea of what the universe is and what it's made up of. And with Rick and Morty, they take this huge idea, this idea that we're already a very small part of the universe but to then have our universe be the small part of a multitude of universes it it's kind of in for a lot of people that can be overwhelming and scary and they don't like it for dan harmon and the show rick and morty it's it's that's the comedy it's it's are it's so insignificant everything we're doing is so insignificant and if this means that these silly things are true, even more silly and absurd things can be true. And through that lens, they're able to sort of look at human experience in a way that's both hilarious and absurd, um, but also brutally human and beautiful in a way that you just you wouldn't expect given the kind of arresting thing of having, say, a character named Mr. Poopy Butthole or Mr. Meekseez and the absurdities that sort of come up when they travel from universe to universe
4: wait a minute, we have a character named Mr. Poopy Butthole. What did they get theirs? Uh, This could be a copyright problem. (laughs) It could be. So uh, we'll, we'll end uh, with um, a little bit of Rick and Morty. You certainly have sold it, uh, Alicia. Uh, so this I, 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 this is going to require some visual effort on your part, but I believe this clip involves slices of pizza making a phone call uh, and then a different universe where telephones are sitting in slices of pizza making a call and then it's different universes where chairs are sitting on people making a call on a slice of pizza. And if that's anywhere near right, here we go.
1: Yeah, I'd like to order one large person with extra people, please. White people.
3: No, 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 no. Black people and Hispanic on half.
1: Yes, I'd like to order one large sofa chair with extra chair, please. High chair.
3: No, 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 no.
2: Recliner and wheelchair on half.
1: Yeah, I'd like to order one large phone with extra phones, please. Cell phone. No, 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 no. Rotary
3: and payphone on half.
1: That'll keep him <coughs> busy for a while.
4: So, Alicia, uh, I'm assuming that that clip explores the notion. I mean, we tend to think when we, when we think about the multiverse uh, of, uh, you know, something like sliding doors where Gwyneth Paltrow's reality changes or something like the introduction we had to the show where you go to a place and Joe Biden's the president, not Donald Trump. But really, the, the closer to the physics would be places where phones do what people do and pieces slices places of pizza do what phones do and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's one of those things that I think is very intrinsic in humans to have a very human-centric point of view and believe that if we are what are sentient in this universe, then that must be true in all other universes. And Rick and Morney really kind of blows that out in a different way entirely where they say, okay, well, if humans can be sentient, then cats can be sentient, then rocks can be sentient, then entire planets can be sentient and come to your universe because actually what your universe is to them is a reality show, for example. And it's, it's playing with that idea where they find you know, their most heart and comedy in this idea of if this absurd reality that we have is true, then there are, are unlimited absurd realities that exist wherein it's completely flipped from what we have here.
4: Well, Alicia Lutz, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, I'm uh, sorry for calling you Amanda at the beginning, but our next guest is named Mac. I'm going to call him Alicia at the beginning. This will be my version of the multiverse. Yeah, I'll just keep uh, flapping first names forward uh, one. But Alicia Lutz uh, joined us. Uh, She, as we said, is a managing editor at uh, Nerdist and the creator and host of Fangirling. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll tell you about one fictional creation that may be trying to tell you something about this multiverse. It's the barren something-somethings.
3: Today's show was produced by me, world-famous physicist Alan Yu, with help from Kyle Wolfe and Captain McUnderpants. My book, How to Produce Radio Shows That Are Better Than the One You're Listening To, is available in most universes. The part of Bill Curry was played by James Marsden, who also plays Cyclops in the X-Men movies. You should go see all of those movies. And then listen to My Culture Roundtable, The Neck, tomorrow in this time slot. Back to the show.
4: All right, if I were a man of my word, I would introduce our next guest as uh, Alicia Lamoureux, and then I would have Amanda Gefter on. At the beginning, uh, I'd have her back, and then I'd call her Mac. But uh, that's too complicated. Mac Lamoureux is joining us right now, night Editor at Vice Canada. And so uh, Mac is going to walk us through uh, the notion that, well, how can we put this? Let's imagine that there are multiple universes, and some of them are very, very close by us, uh, and, and they're not that different from this universe. I mean, they're just a little bit different, and maybe you could bubble into one of the very slightly different ones, and how would you know? Well, Mac, one way you might know would be if... You thought something had changed, and very few other people thought so. Uh, That would make you think, well, that means it's always been this way in this universe. I just come from another universe where it wasn't like that. And and it's possible that the creatures most eager to warn us about that are a bunch of fuzzy characters named the Baron Something Bear. So explain the Baron Something Bears conspiracy.
1: Well, I guess I'll start this off. By asking you the very scientific question of how do you believe it's spelled,
4: Colin? Like Berenstein.
1: Do you believe it has an E or an A? An E. So you are from a separate universe. <laughs> if it, this is according to the conspiracy theory. So essentially, what it is is that people believe that the Berenstein Bears has always been spelled with an E, but it actually is with an A. It's S T A I N the Berenstein Bears. And this seemed to collectively blow the Internet's mind, and they started trying to figure out why this happened. And one of the ways they tried to figure it out was this thing called the Mandela Effect, which is the brainchild of a woman named Fiona Broom. It pulls its name from when a large group of people all had vivid memories of Nelson Mandela dying in prison, which it obviously didn't happen. He, He led South Africa. And so what these people think is that they were in a universe For some time with Berenstein with an E, and that at some point it fractured off, and we're now in a parallel a different universe where it's spelled with an A, and that's the proof.
4: Right. And it's sort of like there aren't that many clues, but there's this clue. So yeah. in terms of the Mandela effect, I mean, I don't know, Sam Chris writing about this said that uh, that's a new name for the phenomenon previously known as being wrong about things. You know, <laughs> that you just sort of get them some things wrong, and the fact that you got this wrong and a lot of people got it wrong and seem to remember it the wrong way, that that doesn't really prove anything.
1: No, no. I don't know if I would call this uh, scientific theory, but it's certainly <laughs> – it's people explaining away something that they've held a belief for a very long time. And I, I won't even – I won't lie. I, I was one of these people where my my world shattered upon itself when I learned that it was with an A, and I called my mom, and I had her pull out some of the old Bernstein books and read to me the spelling of
4: it. Well, and so there are other examples of this. One of them is called the boom, boom, pow problem. Let's just, we're short on time, let's just stipulate that nothing of any importance can ever be established using the black-eyed peas to prove anything. And and then we'll just move on from here. But but so there's another one about Henry VIII and a turkey leg, right?
1: So essentially, they believe that this turkey, this photo of Henry VIII with this turkey leg never existed, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. And so they believe that this again is—they call it a glitch in the matrix. They, obviously coming from the, the film *The Matrix*, so they they go on Reddit and they try and list all these ideas. The boom, boom, pow theory is that they believe that it came out in 2007, even though there's clearly a line in there that says 2008. It, it's it's a little bit of clutching at straws, but it's it's certainly very, very entertaining.
4: Right. And so one of the places that this glitch in the matrix thing, uh, I mean, really, if you're going to prove something, if you're going to really look for solid scientific proof, you know, peer reviewed, double blind, I think the best place to go is Reddit. Right. Those guys, I mean, they don't mess around in Reddit. So uh, oh, no. <laughs> go ahead.
1: Oh, yeah. There is this one person that decided that they were going to figure out the Berenstiniite plot. They were going to figure it all out. And then she she laid out. She was going to use her daughter as an example. She, she said that she was going to do her best to forget that the debate ever exists, not bias her at all, and make sure she reads the books until 10, and then she would put them away. And then when she turns 25, she's going to ask her how she thinks it's felt, how she thinks it's felt, which is, to me, hard science. It's, that's how we need to be doing
4: right. In general, a lot of people on Reddit should lose custody of their children. Uh, anyway, uh, this has been great to talk to you. <laughs> I, would, I would agree. That's like a whole separate show. We'll have you back for that show. Uh, this, we've been talking to uh, Mac Lamoureux, night editor at Vice Canada. So very quickly as we wrap up here, I just want to thank uh, Jonathan McNichol. Uh, I want to say there's certain things i like not allowed to say without getting in a lot of trouble with Jonathan. But I want to say just sort of keep your eyes and ears peeled. Watch Facebook. Well, can I say watch Facebook? Is that okay to say? I can, I can say watch Facebook. Because so the, there may be other things that you would be interested in learning about this show. Because remember, remember, the premise that we have right now is that proof of the multiverse would be if something, some tiny little detail changed, right? And nobody noticed it but you. That would mean... That you had, in fact, left your familiar universe and bubbled yourself into some other uh, universe where things were ever so slightly different. So if anything like that happens involving this show, well, I mean, I'm not saying it proves anything, but it certainly substantiates or at least creates a an uncertain feeling in you. And that, that's our goal, is to keep you feeling very uncertain. Thanks to everybody who helped out on this show. That does include Katie Glass, Alan Yu, Coyone Wolf, uh, Jonathan McNichol is the person who made this all happen. We'll be back tomorrow with the Nose. We're going to be down in New Haven talking about all kinds of stuff, including the movie Moonlight. I'm capable of
0: patience, but I don't waste time on it. Because if our space and time is happening. In this moment, I admit I'm already leaving Or I've already left Or I'm already
3: home Again
2: This is Kayon Wolf live from Hillary Clinton's inauguration. We heard a poem from Alice Walker followed by a cello solo from Yo-Yo Ma And now we've reached the conclusion featuring a live performance by Beyonce with her song, Formation.